Uh, what does Christmas unplugged mean? What does that mean? In this series, here's what we're asking. Here's the question we're asking in this sermon series. How does God want his followers to react to him during the Christmas season? Now, a um, couple things. First of all, in an audience this size, not everybody is a follower of Jesus. Some of you are checking Jesus out, and Jesus is fine with that. As a matter of fact, every one of us checked Jesus out. There was a time in my life when I didn't have a relationship with Jesus, and I checked him out. Little did I know he'd been checking me out a long time, and I checked him out, and I discovered the truth of the gospel, and he um, adopted me into his family, and I became one of his children. And maybe you're not there yet. You haven't gotten there in your journey yet. So I know know not everybody here is a follower of Jesus, but we are hoping you will be. That is our prayer and our hope that you will become a follower of Jesus Christ, that you will be born into his family, be adopted into his family. But we're asking the question in this series, how does a follower of Jesus, somebody who has decided to follow Jesus, how does God want us to act? How does God want us to behave? What does he want our attitude to be during Christmas? The second thing I want to talk to you about is not only the fact that I know there aren't, that everybody here isn't a follower of Jesus. Another thing that I know is that you might be wondering, is pastor saying we shouldn't have Christmas trees and we shouldn't have Christmas lights? No way, buddy. I told them at Christmas I wanted to be surrounded by white Christmas lights, so they did it right here. So we got our Christmas lights, and obviously we like Christmas trees, and if you've walked around this church at all, I mean, the team that put together our Christmas decorations, can we give them a hand one more time? I'm telling you, awesome job. And so, so, um, so I love that stuff. I mean, I've lived around here most of my life. I, I, my dad's a pastor, and my dad pastored a church here, and I was just a little kid. And I remember when Christmas officially began was when Center Street lit up. Amen. Y'all remember that? And I mean, I know it still does. And I still love every Christmas to make that little trek around Center Street. And uh, you could always tell when Christmas was really here because they lit up the water tower. Christmas is here, baby. I mean, and I wasn't thinking about Jesus. I was thinking about presents. I mean, I was a little guy. But now I'm, I'm a man, and I am a follower of Jesus, and I've been following Jesus for a long time. So what does he want from me during Christmas? See, the expectations God has of a follower of Jesus are different than the expectations God has of someone who hasn't yet decided to follow Jesus. Now, once again, if you've not made that decision, that's our prayer for you. We hope you will. And uh, I think Pastor Andy talked about it, but over here, that's why we have the Bible for you. And the Bible that we have over there at the Belong, Commit, Grow, Serve table is a Bible that is designed for a person who has a lot of questions about God and the church and all of that. So pick one of those up. As a matter of fact, if you're witnessing to somebody or you're talking to somebody about God and you want to get one and give it to them, you can do that. That's our gift to you. We spent 
uh, almost $7,000 last year on those little Bibles over there. I think that's a good investment, don't you? I think that's a wonderful investment. I think you guys like it when we use your money for that kind of stuff. Well, it's really not your money. You know, it's his. It's all his. But I think that's how you want us to spend the money. And so we, we don't mind doing that at all. So you spread them out. Give them away. Um, so, you know, to, to find out what we're supposed to do, where do we always go? The Word of God, the Bible. And when you think about Christmas, I mean, you've got to go to Luke 2. And you really, to get Luke 2, you've got to back up and get Luke 1. So let's look at Luke 1 and 2 a little bit and review what we talked about last week because what we did was we observed the way believers back then during the actual birth of Jesus reacted to Jesus. And we thought, you know, however they acted about Jesus being born is how we ought to act about Jesus being born. And so we looked at the life of, can you help me list them? I think they're in your notes there. So let's say them out loud. Let's do a little Bible study. Let's do a little, um, do a little I may not have put them in your notes. I didn't. I'm going to make you remember them. Awesome. Who remembers the first one we talked about? Who? Elizabeth. Good. Who said that? Give her a bag of M&Ms. Who loves M&Ms? Okay. Um, so Elizabeth. And then her husband, Earl, that's right. No, Zacharias. That's Zacharias was her husband. And they had a son, and his name was the Baptist. Exactly, John the Baptist. And then we looked at, uh, not humans, but we checked out how angels reacted to the birth of Jesus. And then we looked at the shepherds. Good, good, good. Some of y'all got your notes from last week. Awesome, I'm proud of you. Uh, and then we looked at this guy almost nobody ever heard of, and his name was Simeon. And what happened, him at, what happened to him after he saw the baby Jesus? What happened? He died and went to heaven immediately. Um, we're not suggesting that that's going to happen to anybody here today. That just happened back in the Bible times. Because you might be here today going, that if that's what following Jesus means, that I'm going to accept him and then die. Um, but I will tell you this. Simeon said that he was at peace since he held the Messiah. He was at peace to die. And I think there's a lesson right there for us in this place today. Because you are not going to be at peace to die until you too embrace the Messiah. Amen, amen? Simeon. Simeon. And then after Simeon, there's another character in the Bible, almost not heard of, almost never talked about. You may have never heard her preached on till last week, and her name was? And what was her role? She was a what? You remember? A prophetess, yes, yes. And she never left the temple. She stayed there in the temple all the times, all the time, and did two things on a regular basis. She was always fasting and Beautiful, awesome. You guys are learning the word of God. And then there were uh, the uh, firemen of the Bible, the wise men. We know that they were firemen because they came from a far. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> the jokes don't get any better. So you better jump on them when I. You say, well, that one's old. I know. So am I. Um, 
the wise men. We looked at how they reacted. And all of them, all of these people, Elizabeth, Zacharias, the angels, shepherds, Simeon, Anna, the wise men, all of them basically had one response to the birth of Jesus Christ, and that one response defines the spirit. You ever heard somebody say, are you in the spirit? In the, in the Christmas spirit? What defines the Christmas spirit? One word, worship. Yes, we talked about that last week. Every one of them worshiped the Messiah. Worshiping the Savior is the supreme attitude of Christmas, and to give form to our worship. We go from these representatives, the people we just named, to a person who is the closest of all human beings to Jesus. We go to a person in the Bible who had an intimacy with him that no other person in the Bible had, and you know who it is. We go to a person who is most directly touched by the birth of Jesus, and that was Mary. Let's look what Mary said. Let's look at what she said. Luke 146. Now, Mary had some questions. I mean, when the angel first came and told her she was going to give birth to the Son of God, she had a lot of questions. She, Mary was probably a teenager. She probably was a teenager. It probably would, would surprise us if we knew how young she was because the culture back then, way, way different than the culture now. I mean, a, a girl back then was considered a woman at about the age of 12 or 13 years old. I'm not kidding you. And today, they don't become women until they're about 40. I'm just talking maturity here. And I didn't say everybody. I didn't say everybody, but we see a world today where it takes people a lot longer to grow up than it used to. Thank you for not leaving me up here by myself. You got my back, don't you? It's the truth. And so uh, there's Mary, and uh, she, she is told that she's going to have a baby, and she knows what is required for a woman to have a baby. And she goes, really? Seriously? Because I don't know how that's going to happen. And the angel responded by saying, but with God, do you all remember this? But with God, all things are possible. That's where that was said. When Mary said it was impossible, that angel said, but with God. Did you get a bad report from the doctor recently? But with God, all things are possible. Is your marriage on the rocks? But with God. Are your children going in the wrong direction? But with God. Are you battling depression and discouragement and are things not going well in your life? You've lost your job. You don't see hope, but with God, all things are possible. Let it be, Lord Jesus, and let us understand that and let us embrace that truth. There are some of you who came to hear that. I don't know that you are going to get much more out of the sermon than that right there, but I want you to get that. That with God, all things are possible. And the people said, amen. So Mary's got questions, and he answers those questions. And after a while, you know what she says? She says, what you have said, let it be unto me. You, you know what? You, do, you, do you know that God don't mind when we go um, God, can I ask you a question about that? But he don't want us to question him in the sense of, 
We don't believe his promises. We don't believe his word. But he's okay with you asking him questions. You see the difference? And so Mary asked him two or three questions. And she, she said, um, she asked the angel two or three questions. And the angel responded. And when, when she was done asking her questions, she said, whatever you want for me, let it be. That's obedience right there. That's what God wants from you. Now, when God comes to you and gives you some direction in your life and gives you some word for your life and gives you some, some uh, instructions and commandments and leads, shows you the purpose of your life, you can ask him some questions about it, but the final remark you make to him has to be, God, I got it. Don't fully understand it all. I know you're not going to reveal everything to me now. You're going to reveal some stuff down the road, but God, you know what? I trust you, and whatever you say, let it be unto me. Amen? Obedience. Obedience is the key to blessing. So Mary obeys, and then, and then once she comprehends, once she gets her mind a little bit around this whole concept of what's going on, look what she says in Luke 1, 46. She says, my soul exalts the Lord. Notice that immediately she has the same response that all those other characters I just went over in the beginning of my sermon. She has the same response they do, except it is even on a higher level, a deeper level, and it is that of worship and praise and adoration and gratitude. And let's go on and read the rest of what she said. Because what she said, listen, the words that came out of her were a hymn. You remember hymn books? It was a hymn. It was a, a worship song. It was a psalm. You say, oh, no, 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 no. Psalms are just in the Old Testament. Oh, no. Psalm is a song. And there are songs, not just in the Old Testament, there are songs in the New Testament, and this is one of them. As a matter of fact, most writers and most lovers of the Bible would say that this is the greatest psalm in the New Testament. Some would say even the whole Bible. She said, in my spirit, everybody say spirit, has rejoiced in God my Savior. Now you have to understand that Jesus was not only her son, he was her Savior. And really, him being her Savior was more important than him being her son. She said, my son is my Savior. Verse 48. For he, and this is very important, and we're going to come back to this at the very end of the sermon today. For he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. I love the way she said for me because some of us, if we had been chosen because, think about Mary's predicament she's in. She's a young girl, she's not married, and she's going to be pregnant. You think somebody might gossip about that? So they're going to gossip about that. She knows what's ahead. She knows she's going to be accused of everything in the world. They're going to hang names on her. They're going to talk about what kind of person she is. And look, she's got a boyfriend. His name's Joseph. They're not married. And she's concerned probably about what Joseph's going to think, you think. And then Joseph, she's probably worried that Joseph is going to be worried about what people are going to say about him. So she's got all this on her mind. But once 
she deals with all that and kind of works her way through all that, worship bursts forth from her. Praise bursts forth out of her. And, and what a lot of us, if you'll go back to verse 49, what a lot of us would have said there, for the mighty one has done great things to me. <laughs> we would have felt like God did something to us. Look at this situation God has put me in. But she says at the end of verse 48 that she is blessed, and she says in verse 49 that he has done this for me, not to me. And then she says, and what she say at the end of verse 49, and holy is his name. Mm. Verse 50, and his mercy is upon generation after generation. Anybody happy about that? I mean, that means it includes us. So the promise wasn't just to her and the people of that time and the people maybe before the Old Testament prophets who had prophesied about Jesus coming. It wasn't just to them. It was to all of us. The gospel is to all of us. The Bible says in John three sixteen, whosoever will. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear. That word fear doesn't mean coward, afraid, trembling. God's going to hurt me. God's going to hurt me. It's not that kind of fear. It's respect. It's honor. It's, it's adoration. It's praise. It's worship. Those who fear him, those who understand who he is and that he is in total control. Verse 51 Look what she says. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. That's powerful. She said, this God, the only God, the only true and living God, has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. Verse 52, he has brought down rulers from their thrones, and he has exalted those who were humble. Verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things. And sent away the greedy. That really, when you do a word study there, it's not God taking a stance against those who are wealthy. God is not an enemy of wealth, but God is an enemy of greed. How many of you know you can be greedy and not have a dime in your pocket? And you can be and, and you can be a person who's not greedy and be very wealthy. So the problem isn't wealth, the problem is greed. And he says he has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the greedy empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant. Yea, for that. He is the Savior of Israel in remembrance of his mercy. Verse 55, and he has spoken to our fathers, the fathers of the Jewish people, to Abraham and his descendants forever. So she's singing a hymn of incarnation. She is sending up a psalm of, of incarnation to God, a worship song. And Mary's so moved by the vision of God. And here's what gets Mary, and we're going to see it again at the end of the sermon. But here's what gets her. Here's what gets her. Here's what makes Mary burst forth in worship. She cannot get over the fact that God is a lover of the lowly. I mean, she knows he is, but she also understands there's no reason for him to be. But he is a lover of the lowly. He is a lover of, again, I'm not going to go there because I want to preach it, but if you'll write down in the margin, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and then don't study it now, but go home and study that. It talks about the kind of people God chooses, and, the, and God doesn't choose the people the world chooses. 
God chooses people who are rejected by the world so that when miracles are done through those people, everybody says there must be a God. And she breaks out in song, a song, a psalm that has come to be known as the Magnificat. So here today is a worshiper. Here today before us is Mary, a Christmas worshiper. Here is the mother of Jesus before us today. Listen, this is so important. Teaching us. You know, have you ever heard a sermon and when it was over you went, man, that was great. That was a great sermon. That guy really knows the Bible. But he didn't give you any application and how it applies to your life. I've heard a lot of sermons like that. Like I wanted to applaud the guy's knowledge of the Bible, but there was no application. I, I wanted him to tell me, how does this apply to me? So I'm about to give you that right now. I'm about to give you that. Because Mary is teaching us in this sermon how we are to worship. She is that model of how we are to worship. Let me fix this thing on my ears. It's about to drive me crazy. So what we're going to do is we're going to go deeper and we're going to examine the quality of Mary's worship. The quality of it. And today and next Sunday and the next Sunday, we're going to look at four distinct qualities of Mary's worship. And I want you to think about your worship life today. I want you to think about your worship life. Because you may have a concept of what worship is like, and I may mess that up in this sermon series. Because worship is not what a lot of people think it is. And it is what a lot of people think it isn't. So we're going to talk about it today, and Mary's going to help us. Let's read it again. I know we've already read it once. Let's read it again. Luke 1, 46 through 48. She says, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. Can I just pause one more time like I did last week and thank God for the women in the house? Amen. Ladies, you should say, give yourself a hand. Give the ladies a hand today. Thank God for the women. This is a sermon about a woman. This is a series about a woman. Now, there's one thing I know about you all. I know you watch TV. I know you try to act like you don't, but I know you do. I like people who go, I don't even have a TV. But they stare at their computer screen all the time. Now, listen. (laughs) Tell you about every video on YouTube. I want to talk to you about, uh, well, why did I bring up TV? Let me tell you why I did that. Because I know you need a commercial every once in a while. So I'm going to give you a commercial right now. Now you're about to get a word from our sponsor. Now, ladies, coming up January 4th is our women's conference. Now, the reason I'm telling you about it is because if you don't get here early that day, you're not going to get a seat. Last year, we had 1,200 chairs in here, and there was somebody in every one of them. Amen. So I'm just telling you, I'm giving the heads up to the bridge folks first. And right here's a little poster, and you can pick this up. It tells you all about it. tells you all about it. And I'm not going to go into detail about that, but I just want to tell you around here, we value the women. We value the women. And uh, I know the world wants men to be women and women to want be men, but I thank God for the difference, don't you? Amen. Amen. I know it's so politically incorrect to say something like that. You used to would have got a big applause, and now you get, can I, I don't even know if I can clap about that. Yeah, you can. You can. Thank God for the difference. 
Amen. Thank both of you. Um, so January 4th, January 4th, uh, we're going to be, the women are going to be here. And here's what they let me do at that conference. They let me come out at the beginning and go, we're glad y'all are here. Bye. Because the ladies run the show that day. And we thank God for the ladies. Characteristic number one of Mary's worship. Men, you need to learn this. There's nothing more powerful than a Christian who worships. And I've got to just add something like that. I get real excited when I see men who worship. Because, you know, somehow men think the ladies handle the worship, you know. I love worshiping men. It takes a man to worship. It takes a man to worship. It's easy to stand around and look tough all the time. It's not so easy to lift your hands, hold your arms out. And I'm not saying every time you do that you're worshiping necessarily, but I just love men who are not afraid to worship God. So characteristic number one is this, that Mary's worship came from deep inside her. Mary's worship came from deep inside her. It came from within her soul. It came from within her spirit, the Bible says. It, came, it was internal. It was internal. Mary's worship was internal. Look what she says. Look what she says. Here it comes again. This is the third time we've read it. My soul, everybody say soul. My soul exalts the Lord or magnifies the Lord. That's what that word exalts mean. My soul magnifies the Lord. And, and look at the next thing she says. My spirit has what? Rejoiced in God my Savior. Now I want to tell you that the word soul and the word spirit are the same word. They're the same word. The soul and the spirit speak of, listen carefully now, the inner person, the deepest part of you, the deepest part of you. Um, let me just do a little teaching here on the Trinity. The Bible says that we are made in the image of God, right? Right? Y'all with me out there? The Bible says we were made in the image of God. Does that mean we look like God? I hope not. I've seen some of y'all up close. And so, no, no, it doesn't mean we look like God. Uh, here's one thing it means. I'm sure it means more than this, but it means this, and that is that God is Trinity and we are Trinity. God is Trinity. Let's, let's name the parts of the Trinity. No. Father. All of them are. All of these three names we're about to give are God, God the, God the, God the, Okay, not three gods. That would make us uh, polytheistic. And we're not polytheistic. That means many gods. We are monotheistic. We worship how many gods? One God, but he reveals himself to us in three ways. You say, oh, that's just weird, man. Well, then you're weird because there's three parts of you. There's a body, which is our earth suit, Mr. Lehman used to tell us. It's our earth suit. And we're going to lay this down one day, but there's two parts of you that are going to live on. Now, you're going to get a new one of these. How many want a new one? Glory. <laughs> this one is giving me all kind of trouble, so I want a new one. So there's the body, but then there is the, there is the mind or the will that's where you decide things. That's where humor is. That's where decision is. So you've got the body, you've got the mind, and then you've got the spirit of a person. 
Now, there's a throne in the spirit part of you. There's a throne, and it belongs to God. Now, some of you have other things on that throne. But God belongs on it. It's his. See, he created you to serve him. He created you to love him. He created you to follow him. I mean, God made everything, you know, in the first part of Genesis. He made all of the uh, world and all of that, got it perfect. And then he said, I'm going to make the greatest creation, and he made us. Because what he said, he said, I'm going to make a, worship, I'm going to make a, um, a, uh, a creature that will love me. I'm going to make a creature that will worship me. And so he made us. And so you have a choice, though. God gave you a choice as to whether you will serve him or not. Is anybody here a Christian because God forced you to be one? No. You chose it. When you choose him, When you say, I want to be a follower of Jesus, the first contact you have with him is in your spirit. Because what happens is he comes into you and takes his rightful place on the throne of your heart. How many of y'all remember the day that happened for you? I remember the day. It's a crisis experience. There are some things God does to, for us that's a progression, but this is a crisis experience. It happens instantaneously when you invite him into your heart and, and, and you surrender to him and you, and you ask him to adopt you into, your, into his family. He adopts you. The Bible talks about adoption in the book of Romans, and, and you're adopted into the family, and he comes into your heart, sits down on his throne. It's his throne. Now, the longer he's there, if you pursue him through the word and prayer and studying his word and praying, and getting to know him and fasting. And if you worship him and, and you just develop your relationship with him, all of a sudden, after a while, you begin to think up here. See, he's just there in the beginning. That's why you can't be so hard on new Christians. Because new Christians, he's here, but he hadn't taken this over yet, and he hadn't taken this over yet. Are y'all with me? And so he's in here, and so the longer you're with, and that's why we have a development plan to help you grow here at the church. Because we want you not only to receive him and step inside the door of salvation, we want you to continue your journey and get deeper and deeper and deeper in him. And so after a while when he's been here, as you learn, you begin to think like he does. You begin to process like he does, and all of a sudden, you look around one day, and it is not only here and here, but you are serving with your body. You have girded yourself with a towel like Jesus, and you start washing people's feet. Speaking of service, there are some people getting their feet washed, literally, out in the parking lot today. But there were parking attendants out there because I just saw one of them and he looked like a drowned rat and he had an umbrella in his hand and he's been helping people get in here today and not get wet as much as we can. It's hard to cover everybody, but we try to cover all the people that we can. And so I want us to give our parking lot attendants today a hand. I tell you, when you volunteer for the parking lot, that's a H&L right there, isn't it? And what does H&L stand for? whole nother level. And so they're out there today and we give them a big hand. But see, when you, when you get to know Jesus, Jesus comes in and all of a sudden you're thinking more like him and you're serving like he did and all of that, then, um, you know, he's just taken over your life. So that Trinity, uh, he, he gets involved in all parts of your life, all parts of your life. So that was just a little teaching right there on the, 
on the Trinity, on the fact that we are like Jesus. And Mary said, I worship him with my soul and my spirit, which is the same thing. And it's just saying that she is worshiping Jesus. She is worshiping God who has blessed her with this uh, opportunity to be the one who brings the Messiah child into the world. She is worshiping her, him, listen carefully, she is worship, worshiping him from the deepest part of herself. From the deepest part of herself. The reason that the Holy Spirit inspires the writer to use the word soul and then turn around and use the same word spirit again is because he wants to emphasize the all-encompassing element of Mary's worship. He's trying, to, he's trying to reveal to the reader some sense of the depth of her worship and the genuineness of her worship. She, listen, Mary is giving her all in this worship. One commentator said, and I love this, Mary is summoning. In other words, she's calling on herself. She's calling on everything there is in her. Worship the Lord, Mary. She is summoning her whole inner being. Mary is, and this is so important, this is so important that you get this today. She is teaching us right here at the bridge, right now, this morning. Mary, the mother of Jesus, is teaching us that genuine worship rises from the inside of a person. When a person expresses genuine worship on the outside, it is because it started on the... Worship is not a performance. Worship is not a set of words. Worship is not even a set of actions we do with our body. Now, worship does become that as you grow in your liberty to lift your hands and clap your hands. We know God is pleased with that because the Bible talks about doing those things. But listen to me. Listen to me. True worship originates as something that is moral. It is right. It is mental and emotional. True worship originates in the mind of a person, in their thinking, how they think. It, it originates in the, 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 their will, and it consumes a person's whole inner being. Mary's worship of Jesus came from all that was within her. All that the heart can feel, Mary felt it. All that the mind can comprehend, Mary understood it. Another writer said, Mary's worship is like a great orchestra. Every element of the inner self has its place. And every element of the inner self adds to the harmony of the whole grand crescendo. When I read that, my first thought was, I wish I'd said that. The whole of Mary's inner being. Listen to me. Get this. Everything about her was worshiping God. This worship was deep. As she began to comprehend, as she began to understand 
thanks and praise and adoration begin to bubble up in her and it bubbled up to the surface and it bubbled over and she burst forth into this magnificent that is recorded into the Bible, this adoration of God expressed in a way that we can go back and read it over and over and over and it's new every time. So what is worship not? Worship is not only coming to church. Worship is not just simply singing a song. Worship is not just reading words out of the Bible. Worship is not just listening and hearing a sermon. Worship is not just giving something in the offering. Worship is not simply carrying out some ritual. Listen to me. Not even communion is necessarily worship if it didn't come in from right here. I know churches that have communion every Sunday and there's no thought of what's going on. This is just something I have to do, and when I do this, it makes me right with God, and, and that's, that's not what the Bible teaches. Now, all of these things that I just listed, coming to church, singing, reading the Bible, hearing a sermon, giving in the offering, carrying out communion, all of that is important, and all of these things are actions of worshiping, a worshiping heart, but they cannot stand alone in and of themselves and be called worship. Because worship is from the heart. Listen, the essence of worship is adoring praise. Oh, come let us. Listen to me. Adoring praise. We're we're talking about some deep worship here now. Happens when the soul and the spirit are overwhelmed because you caught a glimpse of his love and you caught a glimpse of his goodness and you just caught a little glimpse of his grace and who he is and it overwhelmed you so that you had to express your love and appreciation for him. If I can be blunt with you today, an external, shallow observance of the birth of Christ is distasteful to God. Can I say it again? I want to make sure you got that. An external, shallow observance of the birth of Christ by Jesus' followers is distasteful to God. Here's how God feels about that. When you are are shallow in your worship of him and you say you're a follower of Jesus and you are shallow and all of your worship of him is external and it's not coming from the deep within you that is distasteful to God now God doesn't have that same expectation of followers of of people who are not followers but of we who are followers of Jesus he has an expectation I'll even go further and say that most of what goes on during Christmas season I believe breaks God's heart That's why we're having a Christmas Eve service. We're not going to be here long. We're going to have it at both campuses. We're going to be here about an hour, but we're going to love on Jesus on his birthday. Amen? We're going to love on Jesus on the day before his birthday. But you got to do it now. you got to do it today. See, don't sit here and talk about what an awesome follower of Jesus you are, and you're going to go out here after you leave into a restaurant and mistreat a waitress or a waiter. That's hypocritical. We don't do that, do we? Amen? Might even use a Christmas just because car and leave them an extra big tip. 
superficial worship finds no place of acceptance with God. There's no time when you're going to give superficial worship and God's going to go, okay, that's fine. Now, if God knows you can't give him more, he's good. But if God knows you're capable of giving him more and you just refuse to, that's rebellion. Did you hear what I just said? He asked Peter, do you love me? You remember that day he asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, Here, here's what was happening, because you have to study the Greek to know this. Jesus said, Peter, do you love me up here? And Peter said, Lord, I love you down here. And Jesus said, Peter, do you love me up here? And Peter said, Jesus, I love you down here. And Jesus understood that where Peter was in his walk, that that was all he could give him right then. So on the third time he asked him, Jesus lowered his, the Greek word agape, he lowered it to the word Peter was using. I believe it was phileo love. He said, do you love me here? And Peter said, yes, Lord, I love you here. And so what he was saying was, Peter, I'll take what you can give me. But on the day you're able to give me more, I require more. And there are some of you that are able to give God more love than you're giving, more appreciation, more worship than you're giving. And God expects it. And God ain't going to let us off the hook. Let me say it again. Let me repeat myself again. Superficial worship finds no place of acceptance with God. Not from his followers. But it's a wonderful thing about worship and getting it right. Guess who gets blessed? <laughs> Everything works like that with God. God says, I want 10% of your income. And we go, oh, God. I only get to keep 90%. And God goes, yeah, because 100% is mine. I was expecting an amen right there. Thank you. So, so then God says, if you'll give me 10%, I'll pour a blessing on you that you can't hold, you can't contain. God tells us what to do. God gives us orders. God gives us requirements. God gives us commands. And when we obey him, we get blessed. I mean, God doesn't just come along and go, good, great. I'm glad you finally got that right. We just get a blessing. You say, well, I don't do it for the blessing. I know, but you're still going to get one. Amen? So when you learn to worship, here's what I'm saying to you today. When y'all learn to worship, when Pharaoh Hardison learns to worship like Mary did, we're going to look at our life and see blessing. Mary referred refer to herself as being what? Blessed. Let's go to Isaiah 29, 13. I'm landing this airplane. Isaiah 29, 13. Isaiah was an Old Testament prophet. And if you want to read some prophecy from Isaiah about Jesus, Go to chapter 9. Don't go there now, but go there later and read chapter 9 of Isaiah. How in the world my Jewish friends miss this, miss that prophecy, I don't know. Isaiah the prophet talks about insincere worship here in Isaiah 29, 13. He's talking about that external, insincere worship, that worship that is just on the surface, that superficial worship. Look what Isaiah says about it. He says, then the Lord said, because this people draw near to me with their what? Words. Not with their heart, but they draw near to me with their what? Words, their mouth. And they honor me with their what? Lip service, but they remove their See, that's that soul, that's that spirit. He said, they're not worshiping me like Mary will. Back then, that was Isaiah, so he was 
They're not, gonna, they're not worshiping me like Mary's going to worship me. They're worshiping me with their words. They're worshiping me superficially. They're worshiping me on the outside, but they're not worshiping me with their hearts. As a matter of fact, he says, but they remove their hearts where? Far from me. And what that means is there's just no heart in their worship. He goes on. And their reverence, that's that fear. The Bible says Mary had fear. She talked about people having fear. That's what it means right there. Same thing, reverence. He says their reverence for me consists of what? Tradition learned by rote. And here's what that means. God is saying right there that Sunday after Sunday, churches are gathering and they're only saying and doing what men have told them to say and do. Now, when we read that, we go, well, man, he's not talking to us because our church isn't traditional. I mean, we're, we got contemporary worship. Listen, that, that's, not the, that's not the difference in tradition and, and what he's talking about right there. You can get traditional in your contemporary worship. You can get traditional in your, in your open worship. We have, we have a church here where you express. We raise our hands here. We praise God out loud. We worship God, and we get physically involved in it. But I'm going to tell you something. That become, could become meaningless if our worship isn't coming from right here. As a matter of fact, we have to be extra careful because we just assume that doing this means it is coming from here. That's why you can't judge people on how they worship. You can't look at the guy beside of you and say, you know, the whole time during worship, he was just sitting there with his hands like that. See, first of all, it's not about you judging his worship because he isn't worshiping you. He's worshiping God. And second thing is you don't know what's going on inside here. I mean, you might be doing all this, you know. That's pretty good right there. You might be doing all that and nothing's going on in here. And the guy beside you might be standing there like that and tears are dripping off his chin and nothing's going on out here, but a whole lot's going on in there. And I'm going to tell you something, God loves that right there. Amen, amen? Amen, that's good stuff right there. It's good preaching. I'm going to listen to this sermon on the way home. Now, I want to take that verse that I just read, Isaiah 29, 13, and put it in modern language as it relates to Christmas. Here's God. They talk about me at Christmas. They put things about me on their Christmas cards and they sing my Christmas carols, but they don't honor me with their hearts and their lives. Isn't that the truth? Man, look what Jesus said. You say, oh, it's Old Testament. Okay, let's go to New Testament. Look at John 4, 24. Jesus said, God is a spirit and they that worship him must Start by worshiping him in. He didn't say they start by dancing or they start by raising their hands or they start by being louder than everybody else in the building. He said worship starts where? From deep in a person. The true worshiper is the one whose heart is devoted to God. The true worshiper is the one whose heart is overflowing, bubbling and overflowing. The true worshiper is the one whose worship comes from deep in them, and it therefore goes on all the time, not just on Sunday. They worship all the time. 
I mean, I don't mean they walk around going, hallelujah, glory to God. I mean, first of all, you'll probably lose your job and they'll call the paddy wagon on you. But there's just a, listen to this, there's just a sense that you're an ambassador of God and you're a child of God and there's never a time when you've got a spiritual life over here and a, and, a, and a secular life over here. You understand he's your daddy, you're his son or daughter, and you walk in him every day, and you can praise him, and you can thank him, and you can ask him for things, and you can talk to him all through the day. Uh, there's a little booklet that came out many years ago called Practicing the Presence of God. Practicing the Presence of God. What's the cause of Mary's worship? This is it. What's the cause of Mary's worship? The cause of Mary's worship that causes her worship to come from the Spirit, comes from deep within, here it is right here. Look at this. This is the Scripture right here. The cause of Mary's worship. This is the thing, and I, I really don't know how to put this into words the way I want to, but to just say it the way we talk around here, she couldn't get over this right here. She just couldn't get over it. I mean, she believed it. But she just could not get over the fact that the God of heaven has had regard for her. There's another scripture in the Bible that kind of illustrates that, and it is the scripture that says, Who am I that you are mindful of me? That's what Mary's saying right there. Who am I, God, that you would even think about me? Much less me bring, much less choose me to bring Jesus into the world, bring the Christ child into the world. So, so she's, she is just, she is just blown away that he has regard, not just for her, really for anybody, but especially for, and when that word right there, it means the people that the world rejects, that he has regard for the humble, the people that the world would go, he's an idiot. She's, she's worthless. How much money do they make? What kind of education do they have? Well, they don't make much money. They don't have money. Why are they even here? The Bible says God regards. He's mindful of those kinds of people. I don't know about you, but I'm real glad about that because I are one. Man, please, please, guys, you want to do a Bible study, you say, man, one of the things I want to do, Pastor, start with 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and just read in there about the kind of people God chooses and the world wouldn't choose them. And then all it basically says is, why would God do that? And it is so everybody will know. I mean, like when they see me pastoring the bridge, everybody goes, there's a God. If he's the pastor of the bridge, there is a God. She was just blown away by it. Mary was genuinely humble. It wasn't fake humility. What, what's the reaction to fake humility? This is the universal language. Amen? When you see fake humility, people who are humble and proud of it, does it make you want to gag? She saw herself as a servant. She really did. She didn't go around going, I am a servant. Everybody look. I'm serving over here. I'm serving. You ever seen people like that? Don't point. 
She saw herself as a servant. Mary, listen to this. She was overcome with the realization that God is a lover of the lowly. She couldn't believe it. She's amazed that God looked favorably on somebody like her. She's amazed that he had taken notice of her. She is amazed that he had remembered her. She is amazed that he had been mindful of her. So when she got a little bit of understanding about that and how crazy it was for a God like him to feel that way about her, she just burst forth in worship. She didn't know what else to do. She didn't know what other reaction to have. She just, she was just like, my soul exalts the Lord. And when you get a vision of God that Mary got, you'll become a worshiper. You'll become a worshiper. Because a lot of us, we say, well, I got to do this. I saw a guy do that, so let me do that. And then, but, hey, look, just forget about that and just say, God, I don't even really know what Pastor Farrell meant by some of that. But God, I tell you this. Will you make me like Mary? I want a heart like Mary. And I got to tell you, God, I don't even know what I'm asking you for, but I tell you what, I am so attracted to the kind of heart Mary had. I just want a heart like her. I want to love her. I want to love you like she loved you. I want to see you like she saw you. I want to be in awe of you the way she was in awe of you. And God will know what that means. And if you'll make that your prayer every day, make me like Mary, make my heart like Mary. I want my heart to be like Mary. And then go back and study these notes and re listen to these sermons and let God take my flimsy, weak, shallow mess and let him deepen it in your heart and let him deepen it in your life. And let's pray for the bridge to have a, M-A-R-Y. We want an M-E-R-R-Y, Mary Hart, but we want an M-A-R-Y, Mary Hart. And the people said?